0: Well, today is our second week of Global Impact Month. See, at the Grace Place, we are outward focused. Missions captured a, uh, captures a big part of our heart. Just like Jesus, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our missions focus is both local and global. It includes anything that meets a need or saves a soul. Well, this past Sunday, we focused on local missions because as we said last Sunday, missions is not just around the world, but missions is also local. And so we talked about local missions last week. See, see, yes, we reach across the world, but we also reach across the street. Now, at the Grace Place, we aspire to do four things, and that is we aspire to gather together, to grow together, to give together, and to go together. Last Sunday, we focused on gathering. Today, our focus is on growing So let's take a look at our theme verse for our series. By the way, uh, our series is called The Assignment. The Assignment. See, before Jesus ascended back to his father after his life, death, and resurrection, he gave his disciples, and every disciple or every Christ follower that would come after them, Jesus gave them an assignment. And we find the assignment in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Again, this is our theme verse for our series. Jesus said, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Say make disciples. Yeah. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There are four things that I want to call your attention to today, specifically as they relate to growing. And I also want you to understand that when I talk about growth today, I'm talking about maturity, maturity. I'm talking about educating people in the word and in the ways of the Lord. First thing I want to talk about today is this. I want us to talk about and see the mandate, the mandate. See, discipleship is not an option. It's a mandate. It's a mandate. It's a command that came from none other than Jesus Christ himself. We just read it. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples, watch this, of all nations. Understand this. Our responsibility doesn't end with evangelism. Did you hear me? I said, our responsibility does not end with evangelism. See, it's not enough to get people saved. But once we get them saved, then we must then disciple them. You see, people who respond to an invitation to salvation become become baby Christians. As far as Christianity goes, they are babies, they are newborns, they are infants, they are born again. Just think about how needy and vulnerable and helpless newborn babies are. They can't walk, they can't talk, they can't feed themselves. They soil their diaper that somebody else put on them. Jesus didn't just say, hey, hey, go save the world. Oh, Jesus didn't say, hey, go get the world saved. The more, the better. And brag about the numbers, man. And try and get bigger numbers than everybody else so that you can brag about your numbers. Jesus never said that. See, Jesus didn't just say to go and get people saved. He said, go make disciples get people saved. Absolutely. But once you get them saved, then it is our responsibility to disciple them. Our responsibility doesn't end with evangelism. And here's why. Because without proper discipleship, new Christians can be easily led astray. I want us to look in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, Verse 11 through 16. It says, and he, speaking of Jesus, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Why did he give them? He answers it in verse 12. He gave them for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So, so according to the scripture that we just read, God's plan is for the fivefold ministry to equip the saints to do the hands on ministry. Of the church, it is not the will of God that pastors are hired by the Church to do the work of the ministry. that is not god 's plan god 's plan is that the ministers the ministers in the church uh, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. so through the ministry received from the fivefold ministry and their instructions, the saints should grow and mature. The instructions from the fivefold ministry should include instructions to the saints on how they should feed themselves and adopt a self-development plan. Yeah. Pastor Sean has done well the past few years developing our discipleship process. I predict that he will intensify this once he takes the reins. And by the way, I approve this direction. Back to our focus for today, if we are going to retain what we have gained through evangelism, we must disciple our converts, and we must do it both locally and globally. One of the greatest values of missionaries is discipleship. Discipleship. Oh, there are many charismatic, many evangelists that have, you know, just a way of drawing people. They just a charisma about them. And there are many of them that can draw huge crowds overseas, up to a 100,000 people. Even one or two have actually gathered up to a million people in one place. Can you imagine what that must look like? Multitudes come to Jesus responding to their altar calls. And this is absolutely awesome. But hear me this morning without the missionary who stays when the evangelist is long gone. And without proper training for the pastors who will pastor these people. Without proper discipleship, new Christians can be easily led astray. Easily lose interest. Easily lose out and drop out. We're talking about the assignment today and the assignment is to make disciples. All right. We talked a little bit about the mandate. Now let's talk a little bit about the model, the model, and no one modeled discipleship better than Jesus. See, discipleship was a priority for Jesus. Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 says that Jesus appointed the 12 disciples, watch this, watch this, that they might be with him. What did he appoint them to? What was his discipleship all about? That they might be with him. Read the story. You'll find that Jesus focused on pouring out his life into 12 men. They walked with him. They talked with him. They ate with him. See, Jesus knew that some things are better caught than taught. See, you don't really get to know somebody very well unless you spend time with them, listening to them, watching them, learning from them. I believe that everybody should have a mentor and everybody should be a mentor. I believe that somebody, that everyone should have someone in front of them and also someone behind them. Jesus wasn't all about mass evangelism. In fact, he never tried to draw a crowd. If it's there, I've not read it. If you know it is, share with me after church. But I, I, I never find anywhere where Jesus was into va- mass evangelism, where Jesus tried to draw a crowd. And yet, everywhere he went, a crowd was drawn to him. But Jesus was all about discipleship all about discipleship. In fact, in fact, you'll read the story, you'll see that Jesus would walk away from the crowd and go home with a single individual, as in the case of Zacchaeus. You will read the New Testament, and you'll see that Jesus would often send the crowd away. We don't do that. We take pictures and put it in our magazine. But you read the story and you'll see that that Jesus would often send the crowd home. Why? So he could have time to spend with his 12 disciples, discipling them. It's not that crowds and mass evangelism aren't important. They are. Please don't misunderstand me. But listen, listen, we must go beyond evangelism and make sure we have a process to disciple our converts. And this is why our missions efforts at the Grace Place includes ministries that disciple those that have been been converted. We don't just put all of our money in some mass evangelism effort and spend all of our money there. Do we invest in that? Yes, we have, and yes, we will. But it's not just about that, but once the evangelist is gone and once the crusade is over, we wanna make sure that we have pastors in place that are trained. We wanna make sure there are ministries in place that are ready, amen, to receive them, Not only that they will be saved, but they will be disciples and that the fruit that we have produced will remain. Here's something else our discipleship should include, and that is people must learn how to feed themselves personally. See, see, people who only feed off of the pastor's preaching and teaching on Sundays and Wednesday nights, two or three times a month, these people will be malnourished. Because just eating a few times a month will not grow you. It will barely sustain you. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1 and 2, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. He said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. Listen, our discipleship process must include cooking lessons. We need to teach people how to prepare for themselves some nourishing meals from the word of the Lord. We're talking about the assignment this morning, the assignment. We've talked about the mandate. We've talked about the model. Now let's take a peek at the methods, the methods. And I want to mention just two methods of discipleship. And the first one is is teaching. Jesus was our example, right? And Jesus was a teacher. He was a teacher. He would literally teach the multitudes for hours at a time. Evidently, Jesus had not read the latest book on church growth. But you'll read the story and you'll see that Jesus would literally teach the multitudes for hours all day long and the people would sit spellbound and they would hang on to his every word. And he taught in such a way that everyone could understand. There were older people there. There were middle-aged people there. There were young adults there. There were children there. And Jesus, Jesus would teach in such a way that everyone in the audience, everyone that was listening to him, they could understand whether they were an adult or a child. And he was both simple as well as profound. The intelligent as well as the illiterate would listen to him and be able to learn from him. We preachers need to learn from that. In fact, the Bible records about a little lad, a little boy who sat and listened to Jesus literally all day long and he never opened his Happy Meal. (laughs) Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, go make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey all of my commands. Oh, hear me this morning, people. We, we, We need more than just spiritual experiences. I can't tell you how wearied I get from time to time of people wanting more spiritual experiences. Listen, we need more than just spiritual experiences. We need more than spiritual highs. Listen, listen, some saints are no more than spiritual junkies. I said, some saints are no more than spiritual junkies moving from church to church to church, from one revival to the next revival, from one conference to the next conference, seeking another spiritual high. They're nothing more than a spiritual junkie. And if you can't make goosebumps go up and down their spine bigger than the last church, then they're on to the next church and they're criticizing you because you're not spiritual. When what they really need is to settle down somewhere and be taught. I said, what they really need, listen, am I downplaying spiritual uh, 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 experiences? Absolutely not. I, I thank God when the Lord touches me so much, man, I mean, goosebumps are, are running up and down my spine so big you can hang a hat on. My toes are tingling. I like those times too, but I'm telling you, that's not what grows us. It's not what grows us. Amen. What we really need is to settle down somewhere and be taught, discipled, matured in the faith. One method of discipleship is teaching. Another is hands-on training. Hands-on training. See, Jesus also did this. Jesus didn't just teach the multitudes, but he also chose 12 men and poured his life into them. Oh, he preached and he taught the multitudes, but he mentored 12 men. See, Jesus knew the time was going to come when he would no longer be here. He knew the time would be would come when he would ascend back into the Father. And so Jesus wanted to make sure that what was within him was also within somebody else. So that when he was no longer there, so that when he was no longer around, he could live on through the life of somebody else. I ask you this morning, are you are when you die, is everything gonna die with you, or have you begun to teach and to train and mentor and pour into some people? Amen. The things that you 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 want to live on after you die. You've heard me say for the last couple of years, I've been hinting, I will not always be your pastor. I will not always be standing behind this pulpit. And that's why I've over and over and over pounded certain things. I'm sure there have been people that have thought, Doesn't he have anything else to preach? Yes, I do. But I want to pound within you the things that are in my heart, so that the things that are within my heart will be in your heart, so that when I am no longer here, amen, I will live on through other people that have listened to the word of the Lord that has been taught and has been preached. Mark 3 and verse 14, he appointed 12 men. Why? That they might be with him. And no, I don't have an emergency. Amen. Just <laughs> preaching a little. Amen. <laughs> My watch is checking on me. <laughs> Paul did the same thing with young Timothy. In Philippians chapter four and verse number nine, Paul says to Timothy, hey, hey, Timmy, Timmy, whatever you've learned, whatever you've received, whatever you've heard, whatever you have seen in me, put into practice. Paul also knew he would not always be there. And so he poured into young Timothy and other young ministers, amen, the word of God and what was on his heart and what he was passionate about so that he could live on long after he was dead. In our movement, the Assemblies of God, we have what we call MAs, MAs. This stands for missionary associates. These missionary associates work with and work for veteran missionaries. And these veteran missionaries mentor these MAs. These MAs get a taste of missionary life. See, see we really don't know what missionary life is all about until you live the life. You know, you can hear the stories, and you can see the little bit of glamour that might be. I don't see any glamour in it, but sometimes we see glamour in it or whatever. But but you don't really know until you've been there, until you've been in their shoes, and until you've been there. And so often there have been people in the past that thought they wanted to be missionaries, but when they got, actually had to be a missionary, then all the finances that they'd got, gained and all of the instruction they'd received all went down the tube because because they didn't they didn't they didn't last. So the Assemblies of God, incredible, op, incredible. I don't know who came up with it. I'd like to take the credit for it, but I can't. But missionary associates, missionary associates that will go as an associate, not a full-fledged missionary, but a missionary associate. And they sign up for a year to see if they are willing to sign up for a life. How many know that's a good, that's a good idea. Amen. Incredible idea. I love our movement because it has a heart to reach our world. I don't know. Maybe some Somebody here today would feel a tug in their heart about becoming an M.A. The fourth and the final thing that I want to talk about today is I want to talk about the maturity. And here's the deal. Without intentional discipleship, new Christians remain immature. See, most of the problems that pastors have to deal with in the modern church comes from immature saints. Now, I'm not talking about baby Christians that just got saved last week or last month or even last year. I'm not talking about baby Christians who were just born into the faith. I'm talking about Christians who have been around a long time, but they have never matured. Paul had problems with them. Paul said to them, he said, by now you ought to be teachers. That's what he said to the Corinthians. He said, by now you ought to be teachers, but you still need to be taught. But not only just taught, you need to be retaught the most basic teachings of Scripture. Paul said you ought to be eating T-bone steak, but instead you still have to be bottle-fed formula. Oh, hear me this morning. We need to be making more than converts. We need to be making disciples. I said, we need to be making more than converts. Oh, we need to be making more than church attenders. We need to be making disciples. Our converts, our church attenders should be maturing into full-blown disciples who then will reproduce themselves. This is true both locally and globally. And speaking of globally, with proper training, immature pastors... Excuse me, With, without proper training, immature pastors are dangerous. I'm say it again, without proper training, immature pastors are dangerous. See, people tend to listen to the pastor. See, see very few church people are reading their Bible. Very few are reading their Bible. If they still carry a Bible and it's not just on their phone, but if it's their Bible, they put it on the coffee table or put it on the shelf or maybe they even put it on the dash of the car because it's the last little outfit, you know, to finish the outfit to walk into church. Very few church people are reading their Bible consistently. It's sad. But it's true. And so, and so, so people lis- tend to listen to their, to their, to their pastor. They depend on him or her for spiritual guidance. This is why Scripture says that pastors are going to be judged by God with a stricter judgment than the average saint. I cannot tell you how seriously I take my position as pastor. Can't tell you how serious I take it. I guard my walk and I guard my talk. And I'm saddened today to be around so many pastors today that do not guard. Their walk, and they certainly do not guard their talk. And Scripture talks about it. It's plain in Scripture. There ought to be a difference in the man of God and the average person on the street. Hello? I guard my walk and I guard my talk. I'm no better than anybody else, but I am held to a higher standard. Almost daily. I cry out to God to help me be balanced in my preaching and in my teaching. There's so many extremes that I, I could get caught up in. There's so many extremes on every hand. A new fad starts up every day. People are listening to me. People are watching me. Hey, people are following me. God knew this would happen, and so he made some requirements that pastors should meet in order to pastor the Lord's people. Let me, let's just read a few of them. This is just one of about three different passages, but let's read in 1st Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a pastor, he desires a good work. A pastor then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those that are outside the church, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. One of the things that I'm most proud about in our missions movement is the balance in our missions efforts. Our movement, the Assemblies of God, has discovered through trial and error that it's absolutely essential to equip pastors who can then properly equip the church. Two of many ways that we do this is through Fire Bible and Global University. Fire Bible places a Bible, but not just a Bible, but a Bible with with commentary on every single page written by an Assemblies of God scholar, hand this to a pastor overseas that has never had a Bible in their own native language. That just boggles my mind. To think that there are pastors that are pastoring churches that don't even have a Bible, or maybe they have a page or two, or maybe, maybe they, maybe they somehow got in the Book of John and they've torn out pages and they pass them out to different, different pastors, and each one after they're done with them, then they trade them. I can't even fathom. Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine some of the preaching and some of the teaching? I told you last Sunday, I began as a pastor at the age of 17, just a, just a kid of 17, and yet I had been grown, grown up in, 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 in a, a preacher's home. I not only had a Bible, I also had a Matthew Henry commentary, and I still said some of the dumbest things. can imagine trying to pastor. Without a Bible, but not only a Bible, but a commentary, but not just any commentary, but a commentary with our theology in it. Oh, you ought to look on the faces of those pastors when we hand them a Bible. Oh, you ought to hear them shout. You ought to see them dance for joy when this happens. Another incredible effort our movement is involved in is Global University. Bible schools put in place all over the world to teach and train pastors in the word. One pastor in a third world country who had no Bible training was teaching his church that when the time comes, he taught them, he said, we should all take the mark of the beast. He said because if we don't take the mark of the beast, we'll not be able to buy or sell. And so when it's time to take the mark of the beast, we all should take the mark of the beast. This pastor thought he was helping his people. He was unlearned. He was unskilled. He had no knowledge. He had no teaching. He had no training. Can you see, can you see why Global University and Fire Bible are absolutely essential? Jesus didn't just say, go save the world. He said, go get them saved. And then after you get them saved, then disciple them, teach them, train them, mature them, grow them. Oh, I can't speak for you, but oh, I'm thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be a part of a church that's outward focused. That's not just interested in inside numbers and statistics but we're interested in making a difference in lives of people all over the world. And listen, if you have a heart at all, you'll find some place in our global missions, efforts to tug on your heart because it's all there. Whether it's a Bible school or whether it's Beverly over here, thank you for what you 've done all these years and continuing to do and, and she 's in Bible translation. She knows how important it is to have that Bible in that language where they can share it maybe maybe your heart is for the for the drug addict on Skid Row. Well, you know what we got Teen Challenge, and we support it. Amen. you name it we 've got it it 's under our umbrella. Why anybody would give a dime outside of the Assemblies of God missions that are Assemblies of God people, I have no clue. Because I'm telling you, whatever your heart is, we've got a ministry for it. We've even got a, we've even got a, a, a chaplain to rock climbing. That sounds kind of funny, but it's a totally crazy world they live in. But we have someone and we support them. And they're seeing many people come to Christ. fact of the matter is, I'm kind of considering being the first chaplain of the PGA. <laughs> I'll suffer for Jesus at the master's. The takeaway for the message this morning is this, without discipleship, our assignment is incomplete. Father, I just pray that you'll take your wonderful, infallible, life-changing, life-altering, miracle-working word. God, let your word do what needs to be done in the heart and the life of your people today. In Jesus' name.